This is my life. This is my time. Show me the light, and I'll go there. Give me the wine, bitter and sweet, and a little bit of bread. That's all I need. I don't want the gold from Xanadu. I think I'll leave it all to you. This is my life, and I don't care. So welcome, 
You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And we're back after a little bit of a break. How was your break, Sock? Uh, my break was good, you know. Got through the first holiday, which was nice. Um, and uh, I actually went to work on something that I'm just starting that has been an obsession of mine forever. So that's nice catharsis to actually start thinking about things. Benjamin. Screenplay? Yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, trying to adapt Walter Isaacson's uh, biography of Benjamin Franklin into what will hopefully be eight hours of television. I've never really done television, and I've never really done eight hours, and so I'm starting the framing. It's very architectural. Like Wait, the, is this for Genius? No, it's come, but it'll be similar. It'll That's be similar, so funny, because like your it, brother does the show. Yeah, and, and Walter Isaacson, like uh, both Sam and I used to play softball with him when right. we were kids out in Sag Harbor, and uh, he wrote the Einstein book I know that, that, my that, brother, that Sam uh, um, yeah, um, adapted so, for But Genius. Ben Franklin's been a... Um, Kind of a white whale for me for a long time, and uh, and I'm now actually digging in and trying to figure out how to make him accessible and human, and not just like the face on the hundred dollar bill. So amazing. Yeah. So, so my break cool. was good. That's, that's right. what I. Was, how about you? You have a good break? Um. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't really a break because you know it's a busy time at the the independent. Is, so. is it never ever not a busy? Time? Yeah, we get two weeks off between, um, and it's funny. It's actually the same two weeks this year as it was when I had my son. There must be leap years in between because when I had Joel, I didn't miss a day of work because we we um, closed down on the 18th and we reopened on the 2nd, December 2nd. He was born on December 29th. Oh. So I was back at work three days later. So yeah, I'm kind of obsessive about stuff like that. But anyway, no, it's, it's going to be a quiet one because the kids are all away and you know, it's different. But we have a great guest on this today and you know, it's the Hampton Doc Fest is is uh, this weekend, if you're listening, you know, in... Uh, mostly in Sag in Harbor, right? Yeah, yeah, mostly in Sag Harbor. Um, where, where are they showing stuff? They're showing stuff at Bay, Bay Street? Bay Street, for sure. Um, I'm going, actually, well, I'll have gone to the Audrey Flack dock, which they're showing. I used to be model for her, so that's going to be really, really fun. And um, But we do have this great guest, Joe D'Elia, is with us. And, you know, a lot of people know him from, you know, his work out here with the Thieves and, you know, all, all the you know, kind of rock music that, that he's associated with, if I can use the word rock. Um, but he's got this in, incredible uh, resume of, of film scores and arranging and composing. And so I think we're going to talk a little bit about film and scores. And like for me in particular, I remember listening to the score of Gone with the Wind. Like I remember my dad rented a 16 millimeter or whatever it is, a version of Gone with the Wind. It's three hours and 42 minutes. I think something like three hours and 20 minutes of it is music. And, and he, he, I watched the whole movie and then I made him w show it again. So I literally spent like seven hours watching Gone with the Wind and that music, I mean, everybody knows it. And um, what about you, Sock? I mean, Toy Story obviously won an Oscar for, um, didn't it, Randy Newman? Didn't he win for uh, You've Got a Friend in Me? Uh, I mean, not I that that's... Probably. I, <laughs> you, know, I, you were, I don't, I don't you were just attention. noticing that you didn't win. I don't pay attention year. to those things, so okay. I, I don't know. Yes, sure. But as a kid, um, what film scores do you remember that really um Well, I think as a kid, you? I, I would say for me, um, you're not really aware of the film score. Then you get a little older, you get a little bit more critical, and you start seeing how films are constructed, and you realize how essential scoring is to creating the moods and actually telling the story uh, emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I actually think uh, 
you know, you, you, you just take it as like a lot of things as a kid. It's like the, it was always there. And then the real beauty is, is that as you get older and, and you start really seeing how things are created, you realize how the thoughts and the perspectives and the, the, the conversation, the, the collaboration to get something that's authentic. You know, it, it just that's funny because I think we just had different experiences. I really paid attention to movie scores. I would buy the albums, I, you know, but maybe it was like I was a really lonely kid. You have two siblings. I was I mean, I have halves and steps, but I would sit in my room and I would listen to like the Peter and the Wolf album, you know, and, and all like the, the music was important for that. Right, and but I, but I, I got kicked out of the Manus Music School when I was like nine for, for messing around. Well, here's the thing. It was <laughs> such a it was such a tell for where I was going in my life. You know, they, they had like a, a philosophy where they really want to get your fingers on, on the instruments and not teach you theory or notes, but really get you going. But there was a harp in the hallway. And I love the Marx Brothers then. I <laughs> love the Marx Brothers. Oh, and no. I, I was always messing around with the harp. And they're like, that's the one instrument you can't touch. You can go messing around with the horns. You can mess around with the piano. Don't F with the harp. And I, kept <laughs> I don't think on, they said that to you. but Well, I kept on doing it to the point. Like, they were like, it, it got to that place, which I, I went through a lot. Because I, in like a two-year period, I got kicked out of there. I got kicked out of camp. I got kicked out of Hebrew school. And Such I got a kicked rebel. Out of, I got um, kicked out of Hebrew school. I got kicked out of, ta like, Tat Shabbat. All right, cool. The temple well, manual. Yeah, <laughs> and I also got kicked out of, out here, my folks had me riding horses at Topping. I got kicked out of that. Um, none of it was my fault, by the of way. Of course. Uh, just things happen. But in that case, I just loved Harpo Marx, and I just wanted loved to mess Harpo. with that the harp. And they, I finally touched the harp one time, too. Oh, and there was another thing. <laughs> my <laughs> folks then, my dad from you know, Brooklyn, got Brooklyn parents, my yeah. dad uh, and my mom used to take us out to Vegas on the Dunes Hotel Junket, big Julie Weintraub, oh my God. who was a jeweler in Midtown Manhattan, ran the junket to the Dunes Hotel in the 60s and 70s. And the Dunes Hotel, uh, for those that would remember back in the day, had a hotel, uh, had a restaurant that had a, had a sea theme. Um, I can't even remember the name of it now, uh, but there was a mermaid in a right. little pond in the middle playing the harp. And it was a woman that they put in the mermaid thing. So really, I, it wasn't a real mermaid? Uh, you know what, I, I don't know, but I, I, I would just say, so that so you talk about movie scores. I was so ignorant. I was just thinking of like Harpo Marx. Like I was like I was. <laughs> I know. Like, we really went off on a tangent there. <laughs> yeah, but but we are talking <laughs> about Harpo creation Marx. and movies and yeah, and, absolutely. And, and I mean, I have so many questions. I I want to ask Joe. Um, I know it's going to be really exciting. Uh, that uh, I feel like we should get him on because uh, yeah. I think the conversation will get far more interesting than than just us than just talking uh, about this stuff. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a little break. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sock. We're coming to you from the. Bridgehampton Inn and Restaurant on Main Street, Bridgehampton, and you're listening to us on 88.3 WPPB, Long Island's only NPR station. You can also listen to us online at 883WPPB.org, and we're going to be right back with Joe D'Elia after this. Down a mid-October night They boarded up the storefront And turned out all the lights So I drove right past old Shadwall Bass called it Liar Saloon And three guys outside looking for a fight tonight 
under the Montauk moon. The surfers down at East Deck are waiting for a swell. Harley's revving East on 27 like they're headed straight to hell. And the locals hate all the cities who come out in droves by June. The hand that feeds them really feels a bite tonight Under the Montauk moon
Well, welcome back. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Alex Socolow is here with Bridget LeRoy. <laughs> but our, but the real it. reason we showed up today. Yes, yes. You're listening to us on WPBB, and we're here with Joe D'Elia, and we've been talking already during all the breaks about movies and music. How how are you doing, right. Joe? I'm doing great, Bridget. Thank you Hi, for coming Alex. on. Yeah, yeah. Good to see you. And you were talking about the break, I guess Thanksgiving break. Yeah, we right. were talking about yeah this whole kind of break. Yes, but, and yeah. I, you know I always swore that I would be the guy who. Wouldn't show up at Thanksgiving dinner with the tofurkey. Oh no! Uh, and, and now, and this year, it was. <laughs> I, I, I it brought, was tofurkey. I went traditional. I, I brought. I brought smallpox. You brought smallpox. That's good. I brought syphilis and alcoholism. So yeah, that's we really, all that's were really like, funny. yeah. Well, the, to, the tofurkey actually, it serves a purpose because it has sort of the feel of. Turkey. Is it shaped like a turkey? No, it's just like this, okay. bo- like football. It's, it's like a loaf. Yeah, it's like a football-shaped <laughs> loaf, right? With a very. Well, you thick, could stick little legs on that, and it would look yeah, like a turkey. With very thick skin. Okay. Right? But it was it was good. You know, our son <laughs> our son Jake came down, and he's a vegan now. He okay. went full full, went full vegan. vegan. Yeah, plant based life. Plant based life. I I yeah. actually I just watched this uh, doc that came out in 2018 called Game Changers, right? Which I would highly recommend. It's on Netflix that okay. talks about plant based eating and, and. I have a potato in my mouth. That's plant. That's, that's plant. <laughs> or, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> Both. I, anyway, I love it. but Joe, we were talking. You know, when you first came in, we were talking about something really interesting, and uh, Alec talking about Harpo kind of brings us back to that time. Yes, right. Let's talk about. Like the origin of music and and film, because you were talking about the the orchestra, and people don't think about that today. Oh yeah, right. Well, well we were talking about you were uh, mentioning the jazz sing- singer, which I guess was around 1922. It was the first. Maybe a little later, because yeah. the, the the talkies I think came in in 27. Okay. Yeah, it was 27. So, okay, and so my, when my grandmother it, what, some, was in the original audience because it was a Warner oh, Brothers that, oh, so movie. Oh, so it was 27. Right, oh, right, and she was still Doris Warner, and right. she wrote this story, which I have at home about. What it was like to be in right. the theater in New York, and Sam Warner had died like the night before, two nights before. So she, you know, so she goes out because that's well. It was the whole kind of col. How do you say it? Col nidre? Is that the right? Yeah. yeah. So nidre. she she was you know thinking about the and and just how the the crowd just went absolutely insane. In, incredible! It was the first synchronization of sound and film. Yeah. So musically, up until that point, silent films, you know, we always thought it was either a solo piano player or an organ player in the theater, but in actuality it was orchestra. So it would be 20 or 30 uh, musicians. musicians, a conductor, copyists, an orchestrator. There were people employed mm-hmm. throughout the country, you know, and probably in the bigger venues were bigger orchestras and probably in small, you know, in the sticks it probably would be a piano right, player. Right. Or Oh gosh, I wonder but if the, there were some yeah, really bad ones. Yeah, the, right. <laughs> Probably. But it was, yeah, it's yeah a, but still. It's a great art to be able to play to a silent movie. Yeah. You have to have some amazing chops and creativity and, and experience to do it. But the point was that the technology kicked in that day. So right. the day after the jazz singer first debuted. Talkies, and, the talkies. And, and sound being attached to the movie. Right, exactly. Thousands of musicians were displaced that day. Right. So it was the first real uh, crisis in terms of musicians being displaced. Which, which is a cyclical phenomenon. Right. And now we, we see, you know, between sampling, between sampling and looping and 
uh, DJs and all of the things that, you know, said, well, why are musicians uh, finding it so hard to make a living? And everybody has reasons, a lot of reasons. It's yeah. not one, one thing. But it's, it's equivalent to what happened with the talkies. Right. Where technology is... <laughs> technology keeps putting people out of business yeah, unless they get on... Right. Get on the you know the technology bus, I guess. Right, exactly, right. But let's talk about right. let's talk about your like you so, have yeah yeah worked so much with with film scores, which I think is just so fascinating. But but, but, you, but you grew into that. Yeah, I, mean, I want to know how that off, started. I did, you know. I mean, my my history as a musician is as a, a piano player. It's great uh, hearing GE and and Taylor's interview. Yeah, because my experience is similar, different, but. There Did you get like a toy piano when you were six years well, old? Well, it was sim no because we had a piano oh. come into the house. He yeah. had the guitar on the wall right. at four. Everything <laughs> that he did was earlier th than me. Yeah, four. he's a prodigy. W with me, uh -huh. piano came into the house at nine when I was nine, and I saw it come in, and I saw it sitting there. I wasn't quite sure what it was, you know, but I said I think I could do something with that. But <laughs> wow. it took it took a couple of years before I started taking lessons, which was pretty late, really, at twelve. And then like, I started I started playing piano, and really by the time I was thirteen, I was out playing. So in the first, yeah, you, what you, do you, mean just, by you out? just took to it. I'm you sorry, just took to it. You took to it. Yeah, I I think I took to it, and it was good and bad. In that, you know, I started with traditional piano training, but in the, within the first year, you know, I got turned on to, you know, Little Richard and Fats Domino and all this right. stuff, and it was like, oh, I can do this. And then I started, I started doing, yeah, Jerry Lee Lewis, right? All right. these things that were kind of easy to make right. something happen on the piano. And, and, and yeah. I mean, and, and, and popular rock, like rock and roll, what became rock and roll, Boogie Woogie, whatever you want to call it, right. really, uh, who was uh, Chuck Berry's guy? Was it Johnny Johnson? Uh, Johnny Johnson. Yeah, right. and, 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 and Johnny Johnson had the, all of the chord changes that people associate with Chuck Berry. That's right. right. You know? right. Exactly yeah. right. So I, I think at that point, you know, it was interesting and, in my household, I, I grew up in a house with 12 siblings. Right? Are you kidding I, me? Yeah, no, no, not kidding. I didn't know so, that. Put, put yeah, some more uh, water in the gravy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah my, my home life was... Deep down in Brooklyn, you, and you had... No, no, no. we were actually... Were you? We were up in Pearl River, New York at that point. So oh, okay. they that was you know, my, my parents migrated... There must have been something from, in, the, in, the, in the water of Pearl River. 12. Oh, man. You know, but, you know, but it was in the... Where did your parents come from? Where uh, my dad was uh, Southern Italy, uh -huh. and my mom from Barcelona. So it was an interesting Ooh, wow. combination of yeah. Spanish and, and Italian. So you know we had a so it's Delia. Delia, that's and right. my mom's maiden name is Malia. Oh, isn't I wonder wild. if I just made the and, connection. And also, uh, but Sicilian. Yes, Sicilian. Right. So and we must. I bet we're related. Yeah, I think so. Malia and Delia. <laughs> and I think someone just mixed it up yeah. on Ellis Island or something. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Somebody mispronounced it. Exactly. Uh, but it was a, it was a, I always say it was a very loving but chaotic scene. Where are there, you in the Where are you in the ranking? Was number four. Okay. Which is kind of a you know. A place that you can get away with a lot because you're not the oldest, you're not the youngest, yeah. you're kind of in the middle. There's yeah. not that much attention always on you. So I was kind of getting into trouble from <laughs> early on. <you laughs> right. And, and rock, but again, also rock and roll at that moment, the rising of, of the monetized teenage culture, but the baby boomers, the post war, yes. rock and roll became this, this um, island, if you will, that you can go live on, right. that you had a voice. Yes. Right, and we loved it. You know, at I would say, 
in 50, whenever uh, Heartbreak Hotel or whatever the first right. Elvis right. record was came out. No, it was no, later. It was 56. Yeah, it was like, it was really like, because, uh, I, I got to know Mike Stoller. I got to know Mike Stoller a little oh, bit. Okay. And he tells the anecdote you. where uh, uh, he's on the Andrea Dory uh, coming back from uh, a, a trip. He had, they, uh, him and Jerry Lieber had written um, uh, Hound Dog, Hound Dog for, right. for Big Mama Thornton right. in 52. Right. They made a little money. He goes on a trip. He's coming back. He's on this ship that sinks. He thinks he's going to die. You're right. It was 56. He's, he's, on, a, he's on a lifeboat. He, he, he gets picked up by a tanker. He wires Jerry Lieber, who meets him at the docks in New York City, and says, we got a number one song. And he, and he says, what? He said, Hound Dog. He said, Big Mama Thor. He said, no, some white guy named Elvis. Wow. Isn't that that's crazy? That's amazing. And that, that was 50, 56. 56, he yeah. checked that. So at 56, at that time, of course, there were record stores. We went down to the record store. Right. I would have been eight, I guess. Yeah. And that was Elvis. And that was really the beginning. And I, I think that it... But you that know, brought you, you back to like the blues and, and stuff yeah, that went before and, and that. Yeah, it introduces to it. So right. at 12 when I started piano lessons and then started playing a little bit of that, yeah. it took me away from the traditional studies, which I should have been sticking to. And Don't it, say should have. Don't should well, have. You know, no, but could have. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we had uh, my oldest brother, Al. So the f- first five were boys. Right? Oh, my God. I was the fourth. My oldest brother, Al, was, you know, typical first son in an Italian family who was studying accordion, and he was very, very good. But it was not, you know, it, it, uh, it was old school Italian, right. 120 bass accordion. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> and he had a teacher who was an African-American named Arthur Cunningham who had graduated Juilliard. And, you know, my mother just... How she met these interesting people, yeah. but she knew them. You know, she had like this. She was what was cra- her name? Crazy Dolores. Dolores. Like, and, Dolores. Delay. And suddenly, Art Cunningham shows up, and he's like this thirty-year-old guy with a pencil mustache in school, uh. all this stuff. And Al's playing the accordion very well, and I started piano. And he said, "Well, we have to have an act, <laughs> <laughs> or something." Art said this, or yeah, somewhere between my father and Art Cunningham or whatever it was like okay we're gonna put this together oh, and for the next five years it developed into this act the brothers yeah into the brothers and brothers with a U with the brother it yeah. ended up as the brothers with a U oh and Sid Bernstein managed us and this whole thing it was kind of a a strange uh, path to take for for me, oh, really, we love in a strange way. paths, don't no, we? But, but no, it, it, it was okay. I mean, in terms of experience, yeah. it was what it was. Right. You know, I mean, it was kind of in show business as a kid, which was good. So, so then, that, and what know, was the genesis of the thieves? Was that, was that was that much later? The yeah. thieves? Were oh, much the later? thieves was like a hundred oh, years. Right. Oh, I didn't know. It was a hundred years later. Me. This is when I was thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, so we we started out playing everything from local dances to local shows to charity things and we worked and worked and worked well, around the How did area. you get to be the first Muppet on the that Ed was Sullivan towards show? The end of, uh, towards the end of the run. So Sid Bernstein had picked us up as so a You were only like 17, had, weren't you? Or, right, right, and I okay. would have been probably 17. Okay. And uh, Sid had picked us up, got assigned to RCA and we were contenders. Isn't that amazing? Had, I mean... You know, we were, because t- we came in on the, the English Invasion 
And we were one of a thousand acts that were signed to major deals at that point. And we got on the charts, but it's I very... See, <laughs> I see our producer, Kyle Lynch, thinking very he's, carefully about what he's going to play during the next break. Play, yeah. <laughs> so we had, we had one single on RCA called Bad Way to Go. Bad way and to go. it's still very collectible on eBay. You'll have to <laughs> pay a pretty penny for the single. I right? have to tell you something just really yeah. quickly because this is really funny. My my mom had like a big Italian family, right. and my um, my uncle John Malia, Johnny Giovanni, right. he um, went around the same time that you were doing that. He formed a band. This is so weird. Called the Glass Bottle, and the reason is it was it was um, funded by Coca Cola, who was did not like plastic. So this was like maybe a little bit later, like around sixty one, sixty two, when plastics were getting big. So the band was called the Glass Bottle. I love it. And they did like these tours, and they had a a, like a one top forty hit. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah, and it's my uncle was the drummer. That's that's interesting. (laughs) It was an interesting period because so many people were being signed at that point, right? right? Because, you know, the Beatles came out and then there was this explosion, right? Mm. We had an act in 62. So we were already kind of up and running. We mm-hmm. had uniforms, we had equipment, we were set to go, you know. So by the I want to see a picture. Oh, the pictures are great. I probably have. If you all, don't have pictures, it didn't happen. No, oh, no. We, <laughs> I, I should have plenty of pictures. Um, the. What happened when Sid Bernstein picked us up was towards the end of the the run. So now I was 17. And everything, he was managing two artists at that point, the Young Rascals and I think Charles Aznavour or something, right? It was an interesting yeah. client list yeah, that, he, that yeah. he had, right? And he signed us. And he really loved my father, who was sort of our manager. He wasn't that into it but right. he was he was great right and Sid and my father came from the same area in Brooklyn so they had this kind of simpatico and they right. really loved each other but Sid Bernstein was so powerful at that time he right. was able to just get us a record deal like that he was able to and then there was overflow from the young rascals that would come our way and right, I suspect right. that the Muppets thing might have been a call that had come in for the young rascals, and he said, "Well, they can't do it, but I've got these guys." <laughs> so we went down. You're talking about Jim. You had mentioned Jim Henson. I don't yeah. know if today or I think maybe on uh, on Brian's episode. Could be, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and we went down. Jim Henson was unknown, really, right. at that po- at that point. Nobody knew who he was. And we went to a a loft in Manhattan. Yeah, and <laughs> there were all these puppets and all this stuff. And he said, "We want you to." do the song and we wrote the song went to a recording studio and what was the song the song was called rocket i think it was called rocket to me baby and, <laughs> and you to, wrote it yeah with my brothers you know we co-wrote yeah. the thing and then we went to a studio in the city we recorded it and then on sunday night or two sundays later like everybody else Sullivan. like everybody else in the world we were sitting in front of ed sullivan and came on and it was wonderful what's interesting what did, what did that feel like though i <laughs> mean was, to have it that it was great we recognition suddenly realized that like a million people or whatever were it was were really watching. wonderful and what, what's really interesting is that since coming out here and playing a lot which is really over the last eight or ten years i think and it was a credit you know so early on in my life you know that i had basically forgotten about but somehow and i think pj had mentioned it to someone pj being your wife of course. pj people, being my wife people yeah, don't my know dear, that. my dear beautiful wife the wonderful pj back upstate uh, <laughs> She must have mentioned it to somebody. And then we started doing a lot of 
East End you know, and press in, and interviews and, and stuff. Right, and it's in Brian every, Downey's uh, yeah, Nashville, Long Island Right, movie. exactly. And in every single time I've been talked to, interviewed <laughs> or whatever, the Muppets has been the top of my... Oh, right. sorry. No, 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 I, lo- you know, no, I love month, it. I'm, I'm so bad with no. names, but um, last month uh, I went to a book party at uh, the apartment in New York City of one of the guys that wrote like 350 of the songs for, for Sesame Street. <sighs> Um, Joe Russo. Well, Joe Raposo. No, it wasn't Joe Raposo. It wasn't Joe Raposo. Well, but I. Yeah. But here, when it, it was there were a lot of adults or a lot of whatever, right. and there was these, these this group of people who were doing the, who were the current like Sesame Street puppeteers and Muppets. I met a guy who was the voice of Ernie, the current voice of Ernie, and it was like fanboy time because <laughs> it's like everybody has. It's like ketchup. It's like that first thing that you have as a kid that you're just so in love with, yeah. and you, you, you have ketchup? ownership of. You mean caviar? I mean ketchup. Ketchup <laughs> with is, you. Yes. Yeah, no, but okay. ketchup's the, as Malcolm Gladwell pointed out in one of his earlier essays, <laughs> ketchup is the first food that we control as children. Right. And so there's this uh, emotional connection That's to it. Interesting. I love that. Anyway, but so you were at that thing and you met the Ernie guy. I, but I also like I what I loved, and this goes back to I think the power of Jim Henson, the power of the Muppets, right. the power of Sesame Street, right. is there were, you know, fifty years in the making and there were people who have spent their whole lives you know, helping to birth whatever different uh, pieces and programming and everything. And it, it's beloved. It's just beloved. Yeah. The joy to the world but, that... Yeah. But no, the, no, the Muppet thing and that whole period, because now it would have been, would have been 66. Right. You know? So that period in New, New York City was wonderful. Yeah, but I we mean, have to cover like another 60 years. Oh, my and God. Also, and, we're and, and go to like, like the bad, bad lieutenant. We're not even close. So let's take a quick little break. And you're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex And our guest, Joe D'Elia. And our producer, Kyle Lynch. We're coming from the Bridgehampton Inn. And you're listening to us on WPPB. We'll be right back.
we're back. Uh, Sunday's on the East End. With uh, Alex Hockle. And Bridget Leroy. Oh, you know what? Let's talk film scoring, because that's where we started, and we just got... Yeah, we're, we're with, with Joe so, Delia. So, so you're, you're coming up, and then how did you make that leap into scoring film? I had been... Uh, you know, my real goal was to be a studio piano player, which is a tough gig to get. You know, it was a very. You, want, you mean you wanted to like sit in with, with no, musicians? No, I just want. Yeah, I wanted to be a, a, a called in to play on record dates and jingles. That but was. Didn't the, you do that a lot with like Stevie Wonder and, I, and, and people? I had kind of been going in that direction mm -hmm. from younger, but as when I got into my twenties, after the whole brothers period and stuff, it was you know I had actually been working pretty well as a a teenager, and then as I got into my twenties, it was like it was a scramble to to earn a living, so it was playing in bars and it was just trying to stay alive, right? And I knew I wanted to be a studio player, but I was told there's a very, very tough gig to get. It's a closed shop, there's 600 people in New York City working, and that's it, and nobody else gets in. Wow. Recording studio opened up by us called 914 in Bloorville, which was a satellite of A&R studios in the city. So it was like a, a major recording studio right. in the small suburban town. Wow, and I was so able, cool. Yeah, and I was able to kind of get my foot in the door there with Brooks Arthur and Artie Kaplan, these guys who were New York City music biz guys. Right. And I was able to get in in the last, the last period of studio work in, in New York, which was really from about 75 to 85. And then, the and then the studios started closing. By, by 1990, they many gone, of them had yeah. closed, right? So I kind of got in on the last wave of it. I studied uh, arranging with Don Sebesky, who's a great orchestrator, and, I don't know and, uh, and jazz arranger. And okay. he did basically what was a, uh, a master class. So it was a six-month class. And the people that were sitting next to I was going to say, who else was in that class? Like the oh, names we man, would know? Were, like, uh, Michael and Randy Brecker were in it. Margaret Ross, the wonderful harpist. Uh, back Hubert, to harps. Yeah, harp. yeah, back to harp. <laughs> Hubert, with the harp. Keep your hands off her harp. Hat. Hubert Laws. It was all the top studio musicians. That's and there amazing. were like 60 people in each class. And, it was and when you get into music theory, like, is it, is it an, a, like a never-ending... <sighs> Peeling away of something. <laughs> yes, it, it definitely is. It's uh, it's mathematical yeah. <laughs> for sure. So yeah, it, it's something that I the, the Sebesky course basically was saying, okay, in six months, you can get yourself ready for commercial music writing, and it worked for me because I was a piano player and I needed something to get me more into the studio work. Right. So I studied arranging and I. I came out of it and I started getting arranging work immediately. Wow. So I was making disco records. I was with Vicky Sue Robinson and Oh, did you turn the beat around? I didn't I came <laughs> in after turn the beat around. But no, I did a I did Real? I did a lot of No, see now record that part dates. of your life I really don't know about. We so don't even no, the studio right. the studio part of it, but it was cuz it was short because right. it, Yeah. So that I was in the middle of do, doing that work and Abel Ferrara came into my life through my brother Frank who was also you know, a cinematographer and a photographer up in a really Nyack. artistic family. Yeah, the family was, and he yeah. was, but Abel was Frank's friend. And Abel had passed through Nyack on the way to downtown New York from Peekskill, just for a year or something. So I was introduced to Abel, and, I was, and he now had moved into the city. I knew him a little bit in Nyack, and he was like, do you want to score this film? So the first film, 
was a triple X-rated extravaganza. Please tell me what it was (laughs) called. called. It was called Nine Lives of a Wet Pussycat. (laughs) I can, can I say that? On, yes, uh, on Nine the Lives radio. of a Wet Pussycat. Yes, yes right. It was, exactly. first, it was a you First know, Amendment film. Right, exactly. But you know what? But I, 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 I've seen that, but I just watched it for the music. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I, well, and, and I actually read the book, which is fantastic. Well, what's, funny with, what's funny with IMDb. It's like a pamphlet, right? With IMDb, which yeah. we're all on, we all have our IMDb And is it on page. there? It, you can't get it off. And I know. Wait how a minute. To, wait a minute. I thought the whole point was trying to get. Was, <laughs> I was no, going to let Sock take that one. I, you, low hanging fruit. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Low, low hanging fruit. Anyway, no, which was it, my favorite triple uh, X movie. No, and, <laughs> and the credit is actually. I went on to use Joe Delia. Sorry, we're very we're very immature here. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I know it's easy to go there with, yeah, with his film with yeah. Nine Lives, which I always call. Okay. Yeah. But I now use Joe Delia as my professional name and ha- have for. Ever, but back then it was my full name, Which Joseph is- F. Delia. You know, so yeah. at IMDb, right. it's you know the only thing missing is my social security number right. on the on the credit. You know, what right? else started at- in porn though was uh, um, Igmar Bergman, uh, Sweden in the late fifties, early sixties. Uh, porn was considered social uh, statement where the government doesn't control our bodies, and so his right. first movies we, where he cut his teeth. He's not the and not the only one. The yeah. whole that whole. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't say anything oh, no, about did, cutting my teeth. Did that go over my head? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know the We're whole. Trying to keep it clean, it's very the hard whole, sometimes. Uh, there's a Maggie Gyllenhaal uh, series on HBO called The Deuce. The Deuce, the Maggie and, Gyllenhaal. It's actually a James Franco. Oh, James it? Franco. I mean, okay, well, I think it. of Matt. My I daughter think was Ma- on it last oh, year. Oh, really? Yeah, it's funny. And that's yeah. from that period of, of this. So yeah. Abel was getting films made. The second film was called Driller Killer, which was going from sort of triple X uh, sex enough. content <laughs> to kind of triple X violence. Right. right. And then the third film, and was, was able like I mean his his filmography, the stuff that he, that well, Kings of New York and is really kind of uh, thematically dark, exactly. You know, and and it started it started there. Driller Killer was really the first movie that <laughs> uh, not you know, was it was the second film, right? And it premiered in England and was banned in England. Which was actually good, good credit, oh, sure. it's credibility good. for right. for the film, and I was brought in to, uh, to do that. And, 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 all, and so let's just talk scoring for a second. Like uh, creatively, when you say you're brought in, right. is there, do you have a, a philosophy about scoring that you bring? Or no, it's it's good. You're, you're backing up to how I got into it in the first yeah. place. I had no uh, ambition to be writing film scores you know I was arranging records I wanted to be in the studios I wanted to be a studio musician and suddenly I because Abel had asked I had gone down and and we did the the first score which was Nine Lives and then by the time it came to Driller Killer it was a different uh, now I was kind of doing film scores and not through my own right uh desire to be right, we just doing kind of thrust that. I into just was it. kind of into it. And Abel was great because he really was the one who showed me how to do it. You know, that we're going to watch a picture and we're just going to You guys have done many, was, many movies we've together. We've done so much. Right? One of the things about film scores that I do appreciate greatly, it, it, like that I think gets underappreciated, is a lot of times when actors are acting uh, a scene and there's dialogue and there's all this other stuff, 
that that kind of floats on one level, but the emotion that you're asking the audience to feel <clears throat> has to come from something else. Right. And, well, that makes me think of like The Exorcist, which was I think one of the first ones that were the, where they really used um, vibrational frequencies to freak out the audience even more. Like you yeah. weren't aware yes. that yeah, like bees buzzing whenever right. it would be a close right. up on that door, the door at the end of the hallway, you would hear bees buzz, like things that would naturally. No, and you're both hitting on on great points because you're hitting on the emotional and I'm hitting on the subliminal because yes and and you're talking about the sub subliminal and how sound itself is impacting the whole experience right we're talking about emotionally this is what Abel was able to share with me because neither one of us at that point and I had some musical education and Abel's a you know good guitar strummer and sings and but neither one of us were uh, you know Alfred Newman or you know <laughs> Uh, Bernard Herman or Bernard Her or right. Bernard Herman but we knew about those guys but what we but what Abel really knew was the emotional aspect of it so that was where we were kind of coming from well how do we score this not how do we orchestrate it per se but right. what do we do emotionally with it and I think that's what carried through Drill a Killer was tough because it was so it was so I violent. am so I mean, going to have a Joe D'Elia music film no, night where but, we watch Driller Killer. Yeah. Where you watch Driller Killer. And it's, but then Miss 45. Oh, yeah. At the point that Miss 45, which was the third film, came down, I went down, and it was interesting. Abel, Abel had his, uh, his um, studio on 18th Street, The Loft. And... It was one of those spool tables. That's where you always sat and did business on a candle. It was pretty Spartan, <laughs> but it was great. So now there's a third film. Now, of course, the first two were basically no fee. I was making money in the studios right. uptown. You know, I was making a, but that, a... But I, I know from my own life that when there's no money on the table is when you actually can grow the most and, and, and have the most empowerment to make... No, like, like this. No, ex exactly. Yeah. exactly. No, exactly right. And... You know, for me now, I was like kind of this, you know, I was wearing sports jackets from Barney's and I'm heading down to like, really, and I'm heading to 18th Street with like punk rock crazy filmmakers who were my brother's friends. Right? Oh my God, that's so So now cool. this is the third, the third film and I go down. And Abel, this was very kind of Goodfellas movie. <laughs> I said, so how much is the gig paying? And he writes it down on a little scrap of paper and he pushes it across the, the spool table and I look at it and I was like Ugh. it's like right. nothing and it was, yeah and it, he said and we have to take a thousand dollars I think it was something like twelve hundred dollars right and he said but we have to take a thousand off the top to buy a VCR and I'm like what's a, VC <laughs> what's a VCR so this was technology it was like yeah. we now have a machine that we can put a tape in and score to that well, was 1979. Right, exactly. That brings us back, well, that brings right, us exactly. back to 1927 and exactly. how technology so was starting to... So this was 79. Yeah. And, and I said, I have to think about it. Now, at this point, I was already pretty close to Abel, but I was like, I have to think about it. Went back upstate. I called my brother, Frank, and uh, he said, he said, how'd it go? And I said, well, you know, there's no money again. You know, it's the third time. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get paid for the gig. And he said, well, what'd you do? I said, well, I... I said, I'll think about it. He said, look, you go back down there. Yeah, right, you and and I'm going to bring key. this back to Al Jolson. No, One of the great things Al Jolson said is lose the fight before you lose the job. Yeah, that's, no, that's exactly yeah, right. That's and, right. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, the word is that Abel Farrar is 
happening. Hot It's shit. hot. And he, they were friends, but he was like, because Frank was now in L.A. and it already been news in L.A. that Abel was going to happen. He said, you go back down there and you take that gig. I went down look, the next day. I drove down to 18th Street and there was another guy's stuff set up. Oh, <laughs> no. And you got super so, territorial, didn't no. you? No. Oh, yeah, I walked in. I said, I'll take the gig. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, what do we do with, with Michael, who I happen to have known and had done nice things for us. So yeah, it was like yeah. a little weird. He said, well, what do we do with Michael? I said, he could come up and get us coffee while we're doing the sessions. Right? <laughs> and Abel, I, and Abel, I think that really talked to him that I was so. That's right. so and cool. Then, and then you've done what? Like a dozen? And, not, and no, how many I've, movies I've have done, you done? It's been. Because you just did another it's one. It's been basically a 40 year run. That's it's amazing. Like those inflection points of life. Because yeah. uh, that was a, that was a turning point. Yeah. You know? But you know what? We're, we're going to take another break. Um, and in our last third of the show, I really want to talk about how you then got from behind, you know, the scenes yeah, yeah. to being a live musician. Yeah, like what, what made you want to put yourself yeah. out there and well, your relationship? To- <laughs> lack of work. <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs> hey, also being what else? Crack don't smoke itself. <laughs> crack don't smoke itself. As yeah, Alex right. Sokolow always says, you're listening to us on WPPB and we're coming to you from the Bridgehampton and we'll be right back. Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow and we've got our guest Joe DeLeo we could like talk all day but we want to get into like talking about your I want to do a shout out to PJ my oh, wife yeah, who's wonderful and she made me promise that I wouldn't suck on any nicotine lozenges during the interview. He hasn't. I often, and I haven't. No. So this I, is proof. Is that what that is over there? Is no, he's like, no, no I, I, there is one disgusting one sitting oh, the, on my Yeah, but you're not plate. sucking on it. I'm no, not it's sucking. Like, he's you, looking you, at you it. Are you gumming it a little oh, bit? Or yeah, I'm like, looking at it longingly. Are you tickling it? <laughs> with, like... like no, but anyway, we wanted to talk about, you know, you and PJ being out here no, and, and the things well, that you do out here because you're very well known. And you have your new CD out, and yeah. All uh, you, kinds you know, of you were you, we were talking about the the history with the film scoring and all of that right. stuff. And so it's I do been, have one question yeah. before we kind of segue sure. out. Uh, and it's a question actually comes from from my son Eli because I I said that you, 
what would you ask Joe? And he, he and and the question is, has your process and philosophy of film scoring changed over the years? And if so, how? If you can kind of touch on that. I think I really think that it has. In in that, you know, for me, it's always been on the job training, right. almost all of it. You know, from the piano playing to whatever it is I do now, it's just been experience you never stop learning yeah experience and and practice you know and we still all practice i still practice the piano but sometimes that practice comes from on the job experience which it did with the with film scoring the process with especially with abel has been it's very organic and it's asymmetrical you know there's never like a specific way of doing it or sometimes you know we're talking about warner brothers we had worked our way up to uh, the biggest mainstream film that we did was for Warner Brothers, which was the third, I think it was the third remake of Body Snatchers. Oh, right. So this was, this was yeah. Abel's biggest budgeted film. Sure. The process was very different on of making the score for that than it was on, say, doing... Uh, Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, well, Bad Lieutenant or, uh, yes, uh, each one of them, had, I think, had a di- different process. But say Ms. Forty Five, where we put the film right. up, and right. it's like, but like, but like your philosophy as an artist, right? Have because I like I I have found just for myself, I overthink. I still overthink, but then I I try and strip it all away, and that less is more, and that if I can kind of be minimalistic, and give things room to breathe, right? I'm generally happier at the end of my work. And I mean, I, that's my version, but like, I'm wondering if, if you, the way you interface with it, you know? No, I, I know what you're saying about minimalistic, but in the same respect, I think your technical ability and your theory and your chops, in essence, get better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that's one of the miracles of life these days is as old as I feel I am. I'm actually getting better at what I do. That's I genius. really feel that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm. Don't you feel I'm, that too? Absolutely. And I'm I playing piano better than it's I deep ever brain did. And it's yeah. like I, it's yeah. it's crazy, but I you no, know. No, but that's awesome. And I'm not bragging. I just no, think no. I sound fucking awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> no, no, I I know you're gonna have. I don't need that. But uh, you know, I also think that what what when people talk about wisdom or talk about experience, I always think it's it's you know what not to do, right? And that and you strip away so much, right, of your process. Yes, right. You know? And and I love that you guys talk about process so much because I've been listening to the the podcast and process is is interesting and it always changes. we and I want to tell you about the transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, but to wrap up on Abel, we. Yeah. We were talking that there was a 15-year lapse where the team that had always been working together had kind of split. We went split, their separate yeah, ways, especially between me and Abel. Yeah, you didn't Some speak for a long stayed, time. Yeah, we, well, we a little bit here and there, but we were not working together. And then through just the cosmos, we got back together seven or eight years ago. And in that time, we've really done, I think, five films or That's something. amazing. And the process has been different on each one. You know, three were documentaries. The one before the one we're working on now is called uh, Tommaso, starring Willem Dafoe. But, mm-hmm. Right, you've done a few with, with and, that one. And the second one is Siberia, which we're completing now. Right. And the process has been different on each one. Interesting. On Tommaso, Abel was like, man, we need a lot of music for this thing. Just, you know, and it, it's got to be 
not literal. It's got to be very experimental. And we did prepare piano. We did this whole John Cage thing. It was really wonderful. And it's wall to wall music. It's really a fabulous. Well, John Cage isn't wall to wall music. I'm thinking well, three John minutes Cage, and 33 you know, well, seconds of silence. Well, silent. John Cage's <laughs> the most famous piece is yeah, Silence. Right. You know? so three that's, minutes and 33 seconds. That's an, seconds, an yeah. easy one. That's right? funny. Uh, and then it went right from uh, Tommaso, which now has been killing. Uh, in Europe, right? Right. It's a foreign. It's basically an Italian art film. That's so cool. And it's really, it's really wonderful. And then it went right into Siberia, which Abel took five years trying to get off the ground, and then they shot it, and now we have this beautiful film that's. But that hasn't been real, released yet. It's good. It's on its way, okay. and it's really doing great. I mean, it's it's almost completed now. We're mixing the thing in Rome. It's really an exciting. Period and in a, Rome, New yeah. York. No, in Rome. No, <laughs> I'm no, it's because Abel lives in Rome now. Right. So and Willem also yeah. lives part time in, in Rome. So you I go over there and I, I've been over. The mix is is being done there. Yeah. What happened with the live performing? Because I'm yeah. a you know piano player. This is what I've right. always done. I think maybe. Yeah. When did you start writing like these like songs two, for yourself? Like 2000. I think in 2010, <clears throat> decided to do the unthinkable at whatever it was uh, 50 something years old 57 years old or something like that <laughs> to start a band <laughs> you know? really yeah that's really. so amazing and i think it was because you know the film work and studio work had it hadn't stopped but it had slowed down to the point where it was like okay what am i gonna do what's going on because I mean looking at you I just always assumed that, I mean when I first met you I just assumed you had always been I just hadn't heard of it I didn't realize it was that recent it was that pretty you recent that getting it was, up so on a stage. Pe- it was a new period yeah a I mean, new period right? right so it was like okay we're gonna put this band together and we started this thing this was in 2008 or 2009 mm-hmm. or something and PJ for years had been saying you have to go out to the Hamptons because she's a Montauk girl. Right. She grew up out here. Right, right. You got to go out to the Hamptons and play. And I'm like, yeah, but how do you do that? You know, what do I do? I just show up somewhere. Yeah, right. So did so she start booking you or something? Did, no, we did, that's basically what happened yeah. was I, I came out. It was in 2010. We came out. We started the band right bef- before that. And then we said we're going to take the summer and not do any gigs because we'd done a couple before that summer yeah. of 2010. Came out here and brought this Hammond, portable Hammond organ that I had. And I was like, you know, I'm going to come out. I'll bring this axe with me. And I'll go to what used to be Nick's, which is now Sloppy Tuna, right? Oh, okay. Because that was yeah, the only yeah, place yeah. I could think of that would I'm have bands like on the corner. Sure. And I said, well, maybe I could sit in with a band there and I'll just play some stuff, right? So we came out. And I tell you, within three days, I was just like working. Out right. Here. I was... I had gigs. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I just came out and I, was, I worked the whole summer. So that seems to be a recurrent theme, though, that, I, that I'm hearing and, and, and I'm saying it. With, uh, there's no false modesty coming from you, but you seem to show up and start working. So you yeah, must well, be bringing some special juju. No, I think yeah, show, right? You know what? I think showing up. That's you know, that we we 90% of life is just showing yeah, up. Yeah, showing so up is what, is what it was. <laughs> Just give a shout out to like my like longtime yeah. friend Alex Ockler, who always comes up with the with best quote. quotes. Yeah. Always got the best quotes. Always. I love it. And sometimes you question whether they're actual. That's right. I'm like, I, I only half are. Right? Right? No, eighty three percent. I'm going to go back. It's that it's that uh, Cervantes thing. Is uh, uh, half the people from from Crete are liars. I'm from Crete, but I never lie. He I'm just right. made that one up. Yeah. <laughs> 
I love it. Oh, God. But anyways, but, so, you know, so it, but you it, are now a, what we would call no, a bastion of the music scene yeah, in the I mean, it's just, it's just perpetuated itself. Right. You know, and then I met Nancy and... Nancy and, Alice. And meeting her was, was great because she had done a... Uh, she was doing a, a songwriter in the round thing at the Talk House. Right. This might have been 2011. And I was invited to do it. I think I went to see And it was, you might have I gone. I think I went to see that. I, I think, think that she called it in you. the round or something. And there would be like four or five songwriters and she'd be in the middle and she'd pass it around. Yeah. And I played one song. I played Under the Montauk Moon. And it was very, very, you know, talk about fear. <laughs> I love this, that song. I mean, because they play it, it Brian plays it a lot on um, Afternoon yeah, Ramble. It's, it's so, it's so nice. It's, it's so nice that it's been embraced. Ex- embraced. And yeah. Accepted. And Nancy, after that, after that show, she was like, "That's such a great song." I, I felt so great that. Well, that's the thing that He's, somebody like that had take, you know. But had, that's that's. I want to touch on that because we we were talking about it. We walked in here together and just the gratitude. Yeah, you know, you, right. like like you really are grateful for all all right. of these things, like, right. and it really does for all of us. I mean, all of our experiences have really led us to where we are today. So yeah, right. now you live out here. That's right, and, and we. Right. You live out here and you play music right. and, you know. Yeah, life is, uh, is very interesting. And lifestyle is interesting. My lifestyle now is, it's great because I'm playing, you know, I'm playing quite a bit. I'm teaching. I'm doing stuff with teaching Abel. Where? I teach piano. And like I have, like I have, to little kids? like Some little kids. You I have do? Some, yeah, I have some wonderful students. And it's part of giving back, but it's also a, an activity. You know, yeah. it's work. It's, it's stuff to do. And I love to teach. I started... Uh, that's I started doing it maybe eight or ten years ago. That a couple of That's so a couple fantastic. of students came my way, and it was so much fun to do. And I'm pretty good at it. I have a rapport, yeah. and and now I'm starting to develop a a way of doing it, and knowing that you know every student is different, and you have to kind of yeah. tailor it a little bit. Which is like to, movies. Every movie is different uh, in terms but of but life and lifestyle of this stage is really nice because it's very it's very free it's uncertain yeah. you know you have to kind of give everything up you know yeah and, yeah and let it all happen and live and live in the moment right so tell tell me about absolution okay so we have we have we which is your have, latest yeah CD. we've done two cds first one was called smoke and mirrors which had right. uh, montauk, montauk moon and fire in my belly and then this this one was just called absolution you know, it was like, okay, you got to make another CD, and started on it in 2012, and recorded it at Cynthia's. Monk Music, we yeah. Did, yeah, we did maybe five tracks over there, and then it was, it took about five or six years to, not, it wasn't that completing it was difficult, it was just you know, why are we doing this? You know, why am I... <laughs> no, it's so funny. I mean, I hear someone say five or six years, and it's like that with movies. I mean, I, but yeah, well, right, in the newspaper business, I mean, can you imagine, well, yeah, I'm going to yeah, take no, five I, or six I, years to put out this newspaper. I was having this conversation. But this was, in the can, this was in the can for a long time, and it was just like, why, why am I doing this? You know, it's not, you know, CDs now. It was just a, a, yeah. a quandary that I was in as to whether I wanted to go through the process of mastering it Finishing it, manufacturing it. It's, every, it's all do-it-yourself, right? Right. And finally, I teamed up with uh, Johnny Blood, who's Nancy's yeah. wonderful guitarist. Do you know, unbelievable. Do you know Johnny? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's in- the, incredible. the greatest, and he's become such a good friend. And what he did was he started mixing these things. This was like four or five years ago, four years ago. 
And little by little, we had one in the can, one in the can, because the recording was all done. And then this, six months ago, I said, you know, let's do like a short run. It's all do it yourself now. So right. you don't have to, you really have to be motivated. It's to, the opposite of when you were signed with RCA, yeah, right, with, exactly. Sid, with a manager, or, Sid Bernstein. Or what, or I did all, what I did all my life where it was deadlines and it was commissioned and you were hired in. And it was like, okay, you're going to do the score and it's going to be delivered on, you know, well, you have that on June 1st. You, when you were hired to write a screenplay, right? You have like a deadline. Yeah, and, uh, one of the hardest things in the world is to self-motivate. That's right. Because th th when you chase the bone, it, there's just something about that that triggers the, the something primal where it's like, I got to go. That's right, Alec. Exactly. You know? and, and after a lifetime of self-motivating, <laughs> with this project, it was like, I don't know if I could self-motivate any yeah. anymore. But then I got it. I think teaming up with Johnny, because he's so enthusiastic oh, and yeah. so good, that gave me the impetus to say and, and you know what i would say just like responding to that the the why question right. which i don't know if, if if you would relate to this is for me i think one of the reasons why i like to try and create why i like to try and write even if i don't consciously talk about it uh to myself that much is i'm looking to to make something that's going to outlive me i'm looking to make something that's going to kind of have a life of its own and i'm looking to make something that i can kind of sit back and say well there is my energy and th that's the why for wow. me. Right. And, and I found that with this. I said, you know, it's a pretty good collection of s songs. But what happened would, would be I would be driving around, because this stuff has been around since, in various forms, for five years. I'd be driving around, and somehow a song would pop up on my iPhone or something, right. come through the speakers. I say that's pretty damn good. I should do. I should do something. Who is that? Who is that? That's it's me. It's pretty good. But that would happen on and off, like for a couple of years. Finally, I said, okay, let's just put it all together and make it a hard copy. At least it'll exist. And yeah. You can give it to somebody. That's and so cool. And then Brian took this photograph. Brian this Downey, a, the cover right, photograph of Absolution. And, and, and PJ did the uh, the design on it. You right. know, so Take this, it, that's PJ. Yes, that is, yes. <laughs> it, it better be. <laughs> yeah, it better I be. really be in Baby. trouble. It, it, if it is were. at Stacks, right? Huh? Are you at Stacks there? And the photo on the back we of have, it? Oh, that was, we went to, uh, you know, the film festivals, which you were talking yeah. about. Abel is like the yes. film festivals are part of his, uh, you know, very much part of his whole milieu. No, yeah, his yeah. whole professional thing is film festivals at film festivals. Yeah. This was a small festival, the Memphis Film Fest nice. Festival, and we you know, and, and what, but here's what the thing I love. I'm holding this. I haven't really heard it before, but you know, albums used to be. Yeah. It's an album in time. Yes. It's like a photo album, and already I can see on the back cover of your CD, you dedicate it. Yeah, it's dedicated to people. Yeah, and dedicated. that alone makes yeah. me want to hear it. Yes, yeah, and it's very that's profound. So, well, yeah. we're gonna, we're and gonna... Paul Hip took that shot, and it's like you know me with a butt in my mouth, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see you looking at that nicotine lozenge. Better watch out, you. you know, this has been just amazing, but we're going to have to wrap it up. Oh, I mean, we man. could talk for hours and hours. We'll have I to told, have you come I back. You, I told you you can't shut me up. No, I know, I know. <laughs> hey, you know <laughs> and what? you were right. <laughs> don't don't kill the piano player. Yeah, <laughs> don't really. shoot the piano player. You guys you can, are, are, actually, you can shoot him, just don't kill him, yeah. right? Yeah. You guys do such a nice show. I mean, I, I listened to it last night, and then, you know, I, I listened to the GE show and to the uh, Brian and 
you know, oh, thanks. Really oh, thank cool you. Thanks, Joe. Really that's re- that's really yeah. nice. Yeah, GE says he listens every Sunday, so that's nice. Yeah. He'll hear this one. Yeah, right. Anyway, right. Um, it's been amazing. We could go on and on. I love talking about the creative process. Um, this has just been fantastic. So we're, we're coming to you from the Bridgehampton Inn. You're listening to us on WPPB 88.3 FM, Long Island's only NPR station. And we've been with Joe D'Elia, um, Bridget Lurie, and Alex Oclo. Alec, you want to take us out? Yeah, I, I, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the, the conversation. Uh, you know, we're pushing into the holiday season. It's fraught with a lot of emotions, but also this forced consumption that we all seem to have to do this time of year. And I would just say, everybody, take it easy this week. Don't rush to try and reach for something that doesn't really exist. Uh, Enjoy yourself and uh, be well and stay well.